0: yeah it's,
1: uh... Yes, I just turned the video recorder on because we've been uh, going um, at it you You mentioned the word about the weather and referred to it as bad weather. Yeah, weather it's, as yeah. weather is merely weather, wind blows, wall of waterfalls, all kinds of things happen. It's just it's weather. Okay, the temperature goes up, the temperature goes down, the barometric pressure goes up, the barometric pressure goes down. But bad weather is not the weather that's bad, it's our attitude about the weather. We don't like it. That's an important point. In fact, as possibly you could learn all the Dhamma you ever needed to know by just being aware that whatever the weather is doing is okay. Because what, no matter how you feel about it, you can't do nothing about it. Even if you worked at the meteorological police, the big ones, you still can't do anything about it. In fact, local five-day forecasts are still beyond them. They just can't do anything about the weather, except yeah. hate it. And try to get away from it and go someplace else that you like. But then you can't stay there because you got to go back where you don't like the weather because the rules tell you you got to go back home.
2: Yeah, or you go to Thailand to have some nice weather, right? And then rainstorms happen
0: (laughs) anyway.
1: Right. But I broke the rule you're supposed to be there. I didn't actually break the rule. I just threw it out whole. It's a completely functional rule. It doesn't be used. <laughs> in, the, in the Dhamma, this is called silabata paramasa. You've heard the word sila before. Silabas, uh paramasa. Me, right. What it means is, uh, can you hear okay?
2: Yeah, I can hear you, yeah.
1: Yes, what sila paramasa actually means is that we attach to the way things are supposed to be. Now, scientifically, we can use uh, a a language that uh, is more familiar with us. And one of the words that we can use is imprinting. And that some sometimes spectacular hap- things happen that the baby animal of one species will then get in line with the babies of another species. Yeah. Okay. Like a chicken will think that it's a duck, and sometimes kittens think that they're dogs because of the imprinting. Okay. And so we all get imprinted from our families. Another way of looking at it is called the herding instinct or the nesting instinct. And anybody who's going to be part of this nest has to follow the nest rules. And then in the situation of a herd, imagine that you've got a bunch of wildebees close by, and then the lion is spotted. Now the wildebees become a herd and they become tightly packed. Well, guess what? The, the, uh, the wildebees that are in the middle of the pack, They can't steer the pack from the middle of the pack. They're caught up in it and they can't go any place except where all the other people in the pack are going. You got to be out on the edge of the pack where it's dangerous in order to lead the pack, (laughs) but otherwise you just go along to get along. Okay. And so what uh, the Dhamma is teaching is, is that, Hey, we don't have to herd because there's nothing to be afraid of. We're the lion here in fact. I don't have to follow the herd, don't have to be part of the pack, don't have to do what I'm told to do anymore. I could just do the right thing. And what is the right thing? I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'll investigate things,
0: figure out what's going on and then act accordingly. Rather than going along with the herd.
1: So, uh. That herd, then, in a big sense, is actually the society itself. This is one of the reasons why so many of the uh, various Buddhist traditions uh, will recommend that the students get into seclusion, to get away from it all. To get away from it all, you hear that? So what do Westerners do? They go to a retreat.
0: <laughs> Instead of getting away, they go somewhere. Something happened, I don't know. Yeah, but you're back now. Well, I'm yes. back. Mm-hmm.
1: So this scene about the Paramassa is also referred to in uh, Eric Byrne and Sigmund Freud ha- knows it also. Sigmund Freud calls this the superego, and Eric Byrne calls it the parent ego state. And that parents actually fulfill two functions one is is that when a tender infant is born the infant has to be nourished and cared for and taken care of but by the time the child is five or six it's put to work go to school learn your abc's pick up your toys do what you're told to do and so the parenting changes from nurturing into critical parent criticism and then we imprint with that criticism while we miss out on the nurturing and we long for that nurturing. The rest of our lives it's almost like we've got a hole inside. That we're missing something and what we're missing is that nurturing. And so what we have to do is to take that critical parent <coughs> mind state that this unwholesome this finding discrepancies and faults and th- things like that and, and change that into a nurturing parent where everything is okay, everything is fine. Here, let me feed you and I'll give you diaper change and all is well, not a problem in the world. Okay, so we nurture the baby inside, the little child that we have that never really grew up. In fact, that's what the reptilian part of the, the brain is all about, that anterior cortex is just feelings. And we basically talk ourselves in into feeling bad by being critical of ourselves and critical of the world. And the Buddha calls those unwholesome thoughts also called a hindrance. And so what we need to do is to stop that, stop criticizing ourselves and start nurturing ourselves. Everything's okay. Everything is fine. No place to go. There's no work that needs to be done. Everything's okay. Just relax. Chill, baby, chill. Now that chill, baby, chill, actually the poly word for that is nirvana. Just to cool, just to chill, just to hang out. But most people have a magical definition of the word. But all it really means is just, just chill,
0: just cool.
2: Yeah, also in one of uh, Dasa's books, I don't know which one it was, I think it was like uh, Quenching Without Remainder or something uh, like that. Uh, uh, He also described uh, Dukkha like a blast furnace Mm. and like the Nibbana also like just the absence of the heat of that blast furnace and he also described that everybody that is at least somewhat uh, mentally uh, well, uh, or at least not mentally, completely mentally ill, is sometimes in this state, right? Like Yeah,
1: sometimes you, we feel like a nut and sometimes we don't.
2: Because if you constantly were like in, in dukkha, 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 like nonstop, you would just go insane. And people that have that
1: right.
0: die end up in by, by,
1: by suicide, die by police, yeah. uh, do something really drastic. You're so wrapped up in, in how bad you feel, you'll do anything to get out of it. And much of that will be fatal. Okay.
0: Yeah, you could also have
1: aneurysms and heart attacks and all kinds of physical things. That, in fact, uh, this uh, one group of psychologists that I know of call cancer is nothing more than people eating themselves alive.
2: Or fighting against themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm critical of themselves, critical of the world, wanting things to be different, wanting things to be better. And the real teaching of the Buddha is learning to be satisfied with the way things are right now. Everything's okay. Everything is fine.
2: Yeah, I think that's really, like you of course also said that like multiple times, but it's like really the main thing that is lacking from Western Buddhism, right? Is this clearing of the mind and not, not just observing like Because that was what I was doing, like with the Sam Harris meditation, was observing. Can you still hear me? There's a motorbike in the in the back. No problem. No problem. All right. Um, And that was really what I was lacking the most. Like, like as soon as uh, I heard that teaching and applied it, like it, it worked like really well, and like got me actually out of like a long state of depression. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's like without that, I think. Some people probably still get into that state by accident, by just sitting there long enough and observing things until they are fine with them. But it's not really the most
0: direct path, right?
1: That sounds like the story of Eckhart Tolle. Have you ever heard that name?
2: Yeah, yeah, but I don't know the story.
1: Okay, he sat on a park bench in London. I don't know how many hours a day, but he just decided that he'd had enough of it all, and he just sat down and kind of watched the river, watched the River Thames for about two years. And all of a sudden, he recognized, hey, I feel pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Because I got nothing to do and no place
0: to go, so I can just sit and watch what's going on. That's basically all there is to it. And I know that
1: there's a whole lot of philosophy and all of that that people in the West get wrapped up with in with with Buddhism, uh making it quite complicated. It's where in fact it's it's really simple. The Buddha said that he only taught one thing, dukkha, dukkha naroda. But then we get into those philosophical questions about what is the self and what is the soul and all of this confusion. Where in fact, we don't need to care about any of that stuff. Just in fact, the the one that thing that cares—that's the selfishness. And if we don't yeah. care, then everything is okay.
2: Yeah, it's really like it seems like ninety-five percent of the the teachings, in that sense, like in terms of the uh, volume of sentences or, or whatever, is really just necessary because of all the wrong ideas right that are and wrong theories that people come come with like all the baggage that just needs to be say like okay no, now uh, you think it's this way but it's not this way uh, if we just came in fresh without all these concepts like it would really not need that much teaching
1: mhm there's not much to it well yeah. here's an example for you the farmer Uh, is going to be tending his cows, whatever he's doing. There they are, way on the other side of the pasture. And so he's going to go over to the cows. If he keeps his eye on the cows, making sure that he knows exactly where he is so that he can make adjustments in his path and walk right to them, he's going to be covered with cow shit when he gets there. What he needs to do instead is just get the general idea of where the cows are and then start watching every step because this cow pasture is full of cow pies. And so he needs to watch every step. And some of the cow pies are fresh and and steamy and some of them are old and deceptive because they're crusty on the outside. And. Wormy on the inside. You know the kind. Okay, so, yeah. and those are the kind of thoughts that we have also. So that's the way of, of doing it is, is that we don't have to watch for the destination. We've got the general idea of what the destination is. What we need to watch is every thought, every step.
2: Or well, like in uh, the language of uh, computer scientists, like no dynamic programming, just greedy algorithms all the way, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> just the yes. Next step.
1: Well, one of the things that one of the cow pies out there is is that, oh, I have to watch for every cow pie. And if I see a cow pie, I got to feel bad. Rather than say, oh, out of the way, I'll just step aside. And so we, uh, basically, people beat up on themselves. Goenka talks about that a lot in his retreats when he says, if the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind, start again. Go back to the breath and start again. But the students don't do that, never mind, start again. They say, aha! you can't do this meditation this type this is hurting i don't know what's going on here i don't know if and then they just go right down the sewer of bad feelings and all we have to do is to see that we're going in that direction and stop that and say never mind start again another example is is that when we fall down instead of just laying and face down on the pavement we just pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and boogie on down the road. No need to fuss ourselves, nurture ourselves instead. Let's not un- have unwholesome thoughts, let's have happy, wholesome thoughts. Yeah,
2: That's it's how- kind of like realizing
0: that in the moment, something that should have hurt because it was unwholesome didn't hurt. Afterwards, Sure.
1: you broke up there can you repeat what you said
2: uh yeah do you hear me again because i don't yes, see i can
1: hear you yeah
2: okay okay yeah i
0: just said like people can you see me i can't see you how about now yeah no no you're back All right, so I said uh, people
2: have like a moment of Sati where they realize, okay, they weren't paying paying attention or they were doing some unwholesome thing and thinking now that this unwholesome thing, doing this unwholesome uh, thing should have hurt in the moment, but it didn't. So now they try to make it hurt right now when they're actually not doing this. right? And uh, when they're actually being mindful of the fact that they did something unwholesome, but by doing that, they actually make it a, like don't have the advantage of making it a positive feedback loop, right? Like, it should feel good when you realize that you did something stupid so mm-hmm. that you are more likely to realize it in the future again instead of like making it hurt when you see it, it will just lead to you avoiding the scene part, right? Right.
1: Okay, one thing to, to point out there is, is that when we use the word stupid, that's yeah. part of that critical parent yeah. okay and so instead of saying that uh, that was stupid we can say aha i saw that <clears throat> aha i see that okay Th- that that's like calling the weather bad weather
2: yeah using less judge- judgmental
0: language right is, yes. is important
1: Congratulations for figuring that out. That's what—that's part of the teaching is to recognize how critical we are with the choice of words that we use and uh, our behaviors, our attitudes, and that winds up putting us in a victim's position. See, we were born as victims. We were raised as victims, we stayed victims, and when did you ever get actual permission from the society to be fully-fledged adult? Nobody ever gets that much. Everybody winds up being a child in the word, or childish rather than returning to that natural state of feeling um, all is well because I'm well cared for, well-nourished. We always are in that critical state. Oh, I've got to go do
0: something. Go ahead. You froze. You're you're breaking up. Like maybe I'm gonna try to um, change networks here. Okay. So let's see. Maybe this one is better. Yeah, I can maybe see you. <laughs> yeah, you broke
1: up okay. for a little bit, okay. but I can see you easily now.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: This uh, all this crit- critical thinking and like the parents being critical of their children is all basically the purpose of society to program its individuals in specific ways, right? So that we can fulfill roles and. I don't know. So that, that society is able to produce stuff and wage wars and do all of this type of stuff, but we are not working in our own interest as human beings or minds. We are working in the interest of some larger principle, which is not a good one in this case. Like mm-hmm. uh, it's just a natural, or like I guess, yeah, depending on how you define natural, like a process like evolution as well. It's just doing things so that genes get into the next generation in this case, societies can um, can like themselves into um, the future, breaking out of that by seeing that these rules are not for our own benefit. Right. Is, uh, that
1: that's the funny part is the way that Western society now is set up; it doesn't actually benefit anyone. Even yeah. the most wealthy people are unhappy and disappointed. All because of the idea of the greed. Here's here's a way of looking at it. In the suttas, there is the position that talks about that if you are really, really poor and in need, then that's not the time to get the dhamma. That time to get the dhamma is, is to get yourself up to a basic foundation where you have just enough clothing, just enough shelter, just enough um, medicine, uh, just enough food to stay alive at least, okay? Um, But we're looking at a poverty mentality anyway, and some people are, are just downright deficient and don't have what they need to do, so instead of practicing Dhamma, their mind is completely consumed with the things that they actually need to survive, okay? And so for that person, we need to bring them up to a level so that they can actually get physically secure, physically comfortable, uh, physically safe. Because if we can't do that physically, then we're not going to be able to get the mind that way. The mind already knows that the reality of the situation is this is dangerous. And so we have to get the mind into a position of being able to accept reality. And the reality is is that we're okay, we're we're safe now. And then we can practice the Dhamma to get things really fixed up because we can now uh, finish that. Now, here's something about society that way. We can look back in the feudal times hundreds of years ago that humanity was in pretty dire straits. A lot of people died early and all that kind of stuff. And so the whole thing about society was, is that we've got to get the whole population of the earth up to a particular kind of sustainable level. That they're not well below the poverty level. They're at a high level of poverty. Okay. Not yet ready for the middle class, but a lot of people are. That in fact, what we call poverty now is not the same thing as poverty back way back when. An example is is that this guy's only got three pair of shoes. Well, back then they didn't have any at all. Okay, and so we see poverty as uh, actually uh, something three or four hundred years ago would only happen to a rich guy. So this whole idea of poverty is. Um, let us say relative. But here's the point, society has gotten itself up now to the level, like the gross um, uh, domestic product, where the comp- uh, all of the nations are, are uh, comfortable. In fact, the only reason that sets us back is wars here and there. Because the reason people won't have wars is because they want more, they're not satisfied with what we've got where in fact the world society now is already up to a level that we don't need to go after more and more and more and more. We've got enough now. And the whole world now will be able to change from that scarcity mentality into what are we going to do now that we all have enough? Now that's certainly going to happen in the future when AI and the robots and uh, self-driving cars and uh, all of these labor saving devices come into play, there's going to be a a change where a lot of people are going to be caught in the change because they're still attached to greed, ill will, delusion. But there's going to be a whole lot of people who are, one of the things that will happen is everybody will get really interested in sports and that'll happen for about 10 years over a period of of time. But eventually humans will have everything that they need, sufficient food, sufficient clothing. So then everyone can practice the Dhamma. And so we got a plan for that future because there's going to be a whole lot of people that are looking for love And after they find it in all the wrong places, or they don't find it because they're looking in all the wrong places. And for a couple of centuries now, we've been looking for love in the job. And now we're not going to have jobs to look for love because we got everything that the job was going to give for us. And so now what are we going to do with our time? Are we going to fight with each other? Are we going to do sports or are we going to learn to hang out, chill out? and enjoy life.
2: Yeah. I also uh, heard like a really good um, way of saying this, like that's now that that humans are so much in control of uh, such a large part of the the planet's resources and using so much energy, that really the determining factor of the outcome, like what the planet is going to look like in the future is really uh, human psychology, right? So are we going to be able to fix our own psychology? Then we are going to be able to fix all the other problems, whether it be climate change, distribution of wealth.
1: Ah, there's only one problem to fix, though.
0: Yeah.
1: And that is the ignorance that there are problems. The fact (laughs) is, is there really are no problems. (laughs) That's coming from the critical mind. The nurturing mind, there's no problems.
2: Yeah, or the mind that isn't attached to specific outcomes, right? Like, for example, if if one isn't uh, attached to the outcome that you just described, that we are going to have enough food.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, right. So the attachment and the clinging and want it to be different than it is, which uh, is a way of using the word